you, Wayne and choir, and thank you, congregation, for singing along. You know, most of us have had certain people or circumstances or situations in our lives that have made a profound influence. Some in our church family over the last year have received some devastating health reports that completely turned their lives upside down. I was telling someone recently, it seems hard to believe that a, a year ago at this time, I'd been diagnosed with cancer. Others in our church have had a more serious form of that, and its impact is tremendous. Uh, some in our church have had uh, family members. They've made wrong choices. And they didn't just negatively impact that individual. They impact the whole family. When a member of the church family makes a decision, it can impact the entire church. Now, those are the negatives. But what about the positives? Some of you here today, some listening by television, have had a very positive impact. That job promotion you had been seeking, you got it. And it blessed your life and it blessed your family. Or you may be like some I know. You've had a family member. And they made a right choice. They made a good decision. And it impacted not just their life, but the lives of so many in the family. As I've shared with you before, years ago when I was a young boy, we were living for a brief time out of Atlanta, Georgia, living in New Orleans, Louisiana. There was a tremendous impact made on my life during that time. We were members of the First Baptist Church of New Orleans, Louisiana. Dr. J.D. Gray was our pastor. He was a tremendous man. I came to faith in Christ. And several weeks later, Dr. Gray baptized me. A little bit of a negative impact. He somehow slipped and dropped me and I fell to the bottom. But we got over that. I floated to the top. We can remember that with fun and laughter, but the meaningful time was to be baptized that night because I had repented of my sin and placed my faith in Jesus Christ. But the night had a double blessing to us because it was on that night that they ordained my dad to be a, a deacon. Not only was dad a Gideon, not only was dad a Sunday school leader, not only was he a Christian, he also was a deacon servant, and it, I was so proud of that night. And, and who could have imagined? Only God could have orchestrated this. Many, many years later, uh, our young, one of our, our third youngest uh, daughter, granddaughter, Madeline, came to faith in Christ. And Brett and Christy asked me, and the pastor up at First Baptist Carrollton said, "Why don't you come up and baptize her?" Now, little did they know the significance of what was going on. Because, you see, I baptized Madeline that day, and that night they, they ordained our son Brett to be a deacon. Now, you're talking about a deja vu moment. Now, who could have orchestrated that? And yet, I know that, you know, I really have a best opinion of Christian people. I believe most of you want to be good people. You want to, you want to make a positive impact. And I want to help you know how to make that kind of impact 
on others. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 and then several others because I believe you'd like to know how you can make that positive impact on other people. 1 Peter chapter 2, reading in verses 11 and 12. I like the very first word the Apostle Peter said, Beloved, it's always good to remind Christians we are a loved people. The Bible says, But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I love to pe- tell people the good news. They know they're sinners. But many of them don't know they are loved. By God. And so this is a good reminder. So the Apostle Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against you, against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among those that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's why. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, people are looking at us, as they observe your Christ-like manner, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, I want to share with you four very simple steps on how all of us can make a positive impact. Now, the first one is a negative. That's needed. He said, abstain. That's step one. You need to do something in a negative sense. Abstain. And by the way, this was written to Christians. You want to know what we have the capacity to do as Christians? Watch and read everything that God's Word says not to do. says we, even as God's children, have the capacity to do that. So he said, abstain. Now, this word abstain, it means to keep away from, to refrain from some uh, action that we might commit. And when you connect it to fleshly lust, it is a reminder that as long as we're here in the flesh, this flesh will war against us. You see, I don't care how spiritual we get. Our flesh never gets spiritual. A lot of Christians do not seem to understand that. They think if we go through all these Beth Moore studies and we get all spiritual... But the flesh remains the flesh. And it will always war against that spirit of Christ dwelling within us. And so these are things we should abstain from, these fleshly lusts. Paul was honest enough and transparent enough to share some of his warfare in this area. Listen to me from Romans chapter 7. Verse 18, as Paul makes this bold confession, for I know that in me, and he clarifies it, that is in my flesh, how much good dwells? Nothing good dwells. Paul realized the flesh is corrupt. 
The flesh will produce what the flesh can produce, and none of it will honor God. So he said, nothing good in me dwells. He said, for to will is present with me. I, I have a desire to please God, and most Christians I know do. But then he said, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Paul is alerting us that all Christians need to remember that we are involved in spiritual warfare. We need to be reminded we are living in a, in a spiritual warfare zone and we have a real adversary. There really is a person called Satan. He was once an exalted angel. But then he rebelled against God and God cast him forth from heaven. And he became Satan, Lucifer, the adversary, the liar, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. That's our main enemy. But along with Satan came about a third of the angels who followed after him. This is real. This is not some Halloween spooky spooky. This is real warfare. These are real forces, Satan and his demonic forces. And there is never a safe time for Christians to take off our spiritual armor. We're always engaged, even in a Sunday morning worship service, even sitting at home, looking by television, listening to this service, you need to realize you're involved in spiritual warfare. So Paul gave this advice from the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 and 11, Paul said, finally, be strong. Now, how are we to be strong? In the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then Paul says, put on. And that's, an, that's something we do through an act of faith. We appropriate the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and all the other spiritual body armor that God gives us that's listed in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. We need to daily and moment by moment put on and appropriate the full armor of God. He said, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand, which leads you to understand without the full armor of God, you and I will fall. We will be defeated. But he said, put on the full armor of God against that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, here's why. He goes on to explain in verse 12 why this is so important. He said, for our struggle is not. It is not against flesh and blood. And then Paul describes the spiritual array of wickedness that is coming against us. This demonic army, he said, but against the rulers, against the powers against the force, world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. My friends, 
the warfare is real. Christians are being defeated and they don't have a clue why. Because they've not made the connection <coughs> that this warfare coming against us is real. We don't see it. But there are demonic forces throughout this world who are waging wars. We believe, biblically speaking, there are demonic forces that are controlling literally other countries and empires. And working through mankind, but spiritual forces behind them. The warfare is real. The, it is supernatural. And the only way we can stand, even as God's children, is to put on the full armor of God. See, this is what God has given us to help us, to strengthen us, to sustain us, to, to enable us to abstain, to refrain from fleshly lust. So there is a negative Abstain from these fleshly lusts. But I love God's Word. It is so beautifully balanced. With every negative, there's a positive. So, step one, abstain. <coughs> step two, I use the word present. Listen to what the Apostle Peter wrote in verse 12. <coughs> Keep your behavior excellent. Keep your behavior excellent. But I want you to think of step two as the word present. Now, how is it possible? In the midst of this warfare, how can we keep our daily behavior honorable and excellent? Well, again, let's turn to the Apostle Paul. He gives us insight. Look with me at Romans chapter 6. Verses 12 and 13. And again, you're going to see a beautiful balance. He's going to be, bring up a negative, but he's going to bring up a positive. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, and excuse me just a moment. Let me ask you a question. Would God waste his time in his precious word to tell us to do something we didn't have the capacity to do. We all can let sin reign in our mortal body, but we don't have to. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Obviously, some of these people had been presenting their bodies to, as instruments to unrighteousness. So he said, stop it. Don't do it. Now he's gone on on the negative, so he wants to get back on the positive. But instead, you have a choice. But instead, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, which we are, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now this word present is used five times in one chapter, in Romans chapter 6. I quote, it means to place 
at one's disposal. So again, just as abstain when connected to fleshly lust helps us understand what we to abstain from, the word present when put in this context means something positive but to present our lives as alive to God, to put them at the disposal of God. I like what John MacArthur said about this. John wrote, present refers to a decision of the will. He wrote, before sin can have power over a believer, it must first pass through the will. And so Paul, in verse 14, gives us a a reminder. Look at verse 14, Romans chapter 6. He reminds them that they are new creations in Christ. So he says, for sin shall not be master over you. That's not the way it should be. For you are not under the law, but under grace. And grace is liberating. Grace frees us. I remember Peter Lord when he came to Bartlesville, Oklahoma. He upset some people so bad. He said, you know, the most spiritual thing some of you can do is go be nice to your family. Now, that nobody will see it, but just treat your wife like the queen of the house. And love her like Christ loved the church. That, that may be the most spiritual thing you do this week. You may not come back to another service, but that will be your spiritual act of worship. Some of the people said, wait, you've got to get in line and we've got to be down here to be spiritual. You've got to be teaching Sunday school and be a deacon and be this. And all those things are good. There's nothing wrong with that. But it must come out of a life that is consumed with the presence of God in daily living. And so that's exactly what Paul is telling us to do, to present. You see, God expects us. He really demands that we make that choice. And there is a reason why he has the right to demand and expect that of us. You listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20. I I had a young girl at our church in Texas. She told me, I have a right to do anything I want to with my body. It's my body. I can do what I want to. If I want to give it for here or that and do this. And she claimed to be a Christian. I said, you're confessing a lie that is out of the pit of hell. Let me read to you what the Word of God. And I quoted this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know... That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that? Who is, who is in, who is in you, whom you have from God? Lady, young teenager, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, who had never sinned, who became the embodiment sin, who died on the cross and was resurrected to give you the gift of eternal life. You're not your own. You can't do what you want to do. You do what he wants you to do. And so Paul said, on that basis, 
on that basis, therefore, glorify God in your body and your conduct that you're discussing will not glorify God. And then I had to remind her, listen, all sex outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, all of it is sin. And what you're discussing will desecrate the temple of God that you claim to be. So we need to abstain from certain things and to present ourselves. Then Peter gives us step three. It's a warning. In verse 12, Peter warns that believers should not be surprised. And this might help some of us today. Listen to what he wrote. Even though they accuse you of doing what is wrong. Isn't it interesting to hear how the world views committed Christians? Have you noticed how we're presented uh, in the media? Anybody ever noticed that? They call us bigoted. They, they call us narrow-minded. They, they, say all, they say we're being judgmental. And yesterday as I was driving home, Ron and them fed the homeless yesterday, did a great job, and I was driving home. And I know this radio station's usually got liberals on it, so I deliberately turned on it to just hear where they're coming from. And this guy was telling me why, or telling the radio audience, why, why the conservative base of our country has a problem. We have problem with alternatives. And I thought, you know, in a way he's right. But you know, in a way he's deadly wrong. We do have some absolutes. We do believe there is there are moral absolutes. There are some things that are still right, and there are still some things that are wrong. It doesn't matter what, what, what political party you're in, whether you're a conservative or a liberal or somewhere in between. There are some absolutes. Of course, there are none if you don't accept something as an absolute. But what do Christians claim as our source of absolute truth? You tell me, church, what is our only source of absolute truth? What? The Bible. Now, that's it. And so if the Bible says something, we say, well, that's what it says. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so we understand. And so Peter says, in spite of being judged wrongly, we can still make a positive impact. And he, and he goes on to remind them, we're living as strangers and aliens. I've been overseas. I've been a missionary. I've lived where I was a stranger. I didn't speak the language. They didn't do the culture. They didn't do the food. I felt like a stranger. That's the way we ought to feel here in America. Because as good and as great as America is, and I'm thankful that I served in the United States Navy and fought for our country and believe in it, this is not my ultimate home. I'm a kingdom citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven. 
And my conduct ought to match my true citizenship. So Peter tells us, keep on doing what is right in whose sight? Man's sight, cultural value sight, or God's sight. That's going to make us very distinctive. But if we want to make an impact, that's exactly what we need to do. He affirms this truth in verse 15. He said, for, listen to this, this is a powerful statement in verse 15 of 1 Peter. For it is God's will... That by doing right, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, how does our excellent behavior make an impact, especially on those who have never trusted Christ? Peter develops that in verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. He said, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks. Now listen, we need to be kind and gentle. We don't need to carry the Bible and club it over the head of people. We need to be doing it with gentleness. And people will be drawn of the Spirit to ask us, what, what makes you? How do you get this message? You have terminal cancer or some other affliction or your financial accounts have turned upside down and yet you have the peace of God. How do you do that? And we are able to tell them our clear testimony. Peter tells us that we ought to always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Now, friends, every member of our church who's physically able ought to be in a Sunday school class. You see, that's, that's where we have some small group dynamics going on. That's a part of our becoming a great commission Sunday school. I've asked all of our leaders, especially in the student ministry and the adult ministry, have someone every week during October and November, have a member of your Sunday school share within, this is the catch, this is what challenges so many, within two to three minutes. Share their personal testimony. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope. And do it in a way that is concise and clear and in words that people understand. And that's what I pray is going on throughout our Sunday school all during October and November. So that people will hear and have an understanding of how they can too repent of sin. And trust Jesus to be their personal Savior. Well, let me close by giving you a word of encouragement. It's found in verse 14 of 1 Peter 2. Glorify God in the day of visitations. The words I want to focus on as encouragement. Glorify God in the day of visitation. To me, that's a great word of encouragement. Regardless of what you've experienced or what you're experiencing right now. You have some sickness, some setback in your life, and it is definitely impacting all of your life. That's true. That's the reality. You see, we live in a fleshly body. This is a dying, decaying body. I don't care 
how much health I try to build into this body, this body is getting older. And it, no, say amen. This body is getting older and it is decaying and it is going to ultimately die because the Bible said it is appointed unto man once to die. We're all going to die unless we're living at the time when Christ comes to get the church. But the fact is, we don't know when. We do not know when, nor should we ever. If anyone starts setting dates, you can right away know it's a heretic. They don't know what they're talking about because they're denying the Word of God. Even the Son of Man doesn't know. Only the Father knows. But the fact is, He's coming. There is coming a day when the Father is going to say, Son, go get my children. And we're going to go to Him to be with Him forevermore. I'll get a glorified body. I won't have any more cholesterol problems. I won't have any high blood pressure problems. I won't have any afflictions whatsoever. It will be perfect for time immemorial. It will be perfect for eternity. But in the meantime, in the meantime, even as you face devastating situations, people will observe how you face them. And through your good deeds, through your living out your faith, they will say something is real about this thing called Christianity and I need to check it out. Ruth Graham, the late widow, uh, wife of uh, Billy Graham, made this statement. Christians should live in such a way that it makes it easy for others to believe in Jesus. So I close with this comment. Look in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. By the way, as you're turning there to that chapter and that verse... Charles Sheldon, back in 1897, wrote the little book, In His Steps. Dr. Sheldon was a, a pastor in rural Topeka, Kansas. He challenged his church family. After he went incognito and lived as a tramp, as a vagrant, and saw how he was treated, he went to his church and said, What if we started treating and acting to people just like Jesus would? And it transformed his church with a movement that many call, we wear the bracelets, WWJD, that came from Charles Sheldon. I know his great-grandson, Garrett, who lives up in Virginia, he's preached in my pulpit in Texas, does a great job. Just think how it would radically transform our life if before we acted or interacted or said anything to anybody, we asked, what would Jesus do? How would he act? How would he react? How would he speak? The Apostle Peter answers in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. You see, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24 that he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
We can make an impact if we will live in the spirit of Christ a life of righteousness. Father, I pray today that people will be impacted by our positive testimony. Even when we face devastating consequences in life, we continue to live with faith and hope in Jesus Christ. It is my prayer today that if there are people hearing this message that have never personally repented of their sin and placed their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ, that they would do that today and you would give them the gift of eternal life. And it's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. You respond to the invitation. The church doors are open. You respond. Some of you by salvation. Some by transferring your letter. Others by joining the church.